Today on Know the Truth, a special Easter message from Philip de Corsi. My friend, what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross is enough. You don't need to add baptism to that. You don't need to add keeping the Ten Commandments to that. You don't need to keep the golden rule for God to love you more or you to experience His grace. Jesus said it's finished. I paid it in full. The world is full of vain and meaningless works, but when we work for an everlasting kingdom, our labors will not be in vain. Welcome to Know the Truth, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today, Philip DeCourse reminds us to not only believe in the resurrection, but be transformed by it, living established, enthused, and expectant lives that reap eternal reward. It's the finale of the Easter series titled Always Abounding. If you want to get caught up, you'll find lessons online at ktt.org. But now here's Pastor Philip with a timely Easter message. All was abounding. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. In fact, we'll break back into verse 57. This is the great chapter on the resurrection. Paul has confessed the truth of the resurrection in this chapter. He has confirmed it and defended it and shown its importance. And he has celebrated it and he calls us to celebrate it. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he wants us not only to believe in it, but to be transformed by it. Now, there's three implications in our text. If you're taking notes, Paul says, in the light of Jesus' physical resurrection on the third day, because remember, he tells us early in this chapter that Christ died for our sin according to God's word. Then he was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to God's word. If you live in the light of the implication of that event, be established, be enthused, be expectant. Let's look at the text. Be established. The reality of the resurrection makes the Christian steadfast and immovable. The fact that death has been disarmed by Christ arms us with a weapon to fight discouragement within and opposition without. Paul says here, be steadfast. I think that means be steadfast in your commitment to the gospel truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But here's the point you and I have got to really take home with us. The wonderful thing was, as they kept the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as a living belief among them, it promised to keep them from fits of despair, apathy, and anxiety. They could be steadfast as they were steadfast in their commitment to the doctrine of the resurrection. See, nothing should shake the Christian. Nothing should knock us off our balance. Nothing should cause us to surrender to it in hopelessness. Because we can be steadfast, unmovable, given the hope of the resurrection. Because if it's true and we believe it to be true, it opens the gate to a steady march forward into a promising future. Don't you love what Paul said 
in Acts 20, 23 to 24. You know what? I'm going to go into many cities and chains and tribulation await me. Name what did he say? But none of those things move me. None of those things move me. Yeah, he's steadfast. He's fixed in his faith because Christ is alive. Death has been conquered. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And you know what? He rejoiced that he could suffer for Christ. And he knew that through his suffering, the gospel would be advanced. And he knew as he told the Corinthians here that nothing we do for Christ and nothing we lose for his sake is ever lost. Let's move on. Be enthused. I can sense enthusiasm this morning. It's great. We started up the hill at 6.15. Here it is. Because you see, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Christians ought to be happy people. That doesn't mean we don't cry. Doesn't mean our hearts can't be broken. We're fine China like everyone else. But we get up. We, we keep going. We're irrepressible. Steadfast. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So Paul says, believe in the resurrection and be transformed by it. Live in the light of that event and therefore be established and be enthused. And that's this phrase here, abounding in the work of the Lord. I love what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 12, verse 11. He says, don't be lagging in diligence, but fervently serve the Lord. See, Christians don't lag. Christians don't lounge about. Christians don't loiter. Every time the sun comes up, it's like the starting gun. In a race, off we go. We want to love God and we want to love our neighbor. We want to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We want to go and please the Lord in pleasing our boss at work. We want to be a blessing to the city that God has sent us to live in and the nation in which he has put us. And we want to serve the purposes of his kingdom and the building of the church. The word here, work, it has a broad sense. It can mean anything we dedicate to the Lord, right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you can do it to the Lord. But I think in this passage here, in verse 58, he's dealing with the narrow sense of church work. In chapter 15, verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Clearly, he's talking about his labor in missions, discipleship, church planting, preaching, teaching serving the church. In chapter 16, verse 10, he talks about Timothy. If Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I do. The church matters most to Christ. And he wants us to give ourselves aboundingly and abundantly to it. This word abounding is an interesting word. It means overflow, to give yourself fully. To do more than is demanded, it means to exceed requirement. In fact, it's used in John 6, 13 of those 12 baskets of fragments that were left over, that exceeded, that were more than was required for the 5,000 people that Jesus fed. That's our word, over and above. And so that's the kind of life you and I should be living, over and above. 
We shouldn't kind of sink down to the average. We certainly shouldn't sink below average. Just as the banks of a swollen river can overflow, so a life brimming with the goodness, kindness, and love of God will overflow with good works and utmost devotion. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 47? He said to his disciples, what do you more than others? See, I want you to love your enemies. See, that's radical. See, people love those who love them. They love their family. They love their friends but they don't love their enemies. But you see, you can love your enemies because you were my enemy and I loved you. And I want to remind you that the gospel causes you to do more than others, to be more than others. Let's get to the last thought. You still with me? Not like you got a choice, right? Be expectant. Be expectant. This is the last point. This is a wonderful point to finish on. Therefore, right, consequently, having said all of that I've said, here's what I've got to say. If you're going to believe in the resurrection, let it transform you. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing. Here's your expectation. This is what you can look out for. Knowing that your labor, that above and beyond labor, that enthusiastic discipleship, that will not be in vain. It's wonderful. Paul's encouragement is not without motivation. And the motivation comes in the form of an assurance that diligent labor for Christ is not wasted effort. In fact, Paul was to some degree answering his own anxiety. Paul wasn't frightened to die because that had been taken care of in the resurrection. One thing did bother Paul, kept him up at night and got him up in the morning was, did his life count? Was he living it for the glory of Christ? And would he be rewarded the judgment seat of Christ? Right? He'll say to this church in his second letter in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what they have done, whether good or evil, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what bothered Paul. He wanted to know that he hadn't run in vain. He wanted to know that his life counted. In fact, in Philippians 2.16, 1 Thessalonians 2.1, he talks about that. Tell me that the Philippians are doing well. Tell me that the Thessalonians are growing in grace. Then I'll know my work there was not in vain because I don't want to live a life that's empty. I want to make my life count, because now it counts forever. Listen, life is a terrible thing to waste, isn't it? What a gift life is. What potential every human life holds if they'd surrendered it up to God and follow the paths of righteousness. They'd be like a tree planted by the water that brings forth its leaf in due season. Our lives have focus, and our lives are a force for good. And whatever we dedicate to God is not in vain. It won't be lost. I love these words. Bear with me from Bruce Milne. Every kingdom work, whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, partakes of the kingdom's imperishable character. 
every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance of temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every routine engagement, every motion of worship, every struggle toward obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything literally which flows out of our faith, relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the everlasting kingdom. In the end, it will be worth it all. That's Paul's point. The life to come which is the promise born out of Christ's resurrection, colors the many and often mundane tasks of every day. See, when you know Jesus, to borrow the words of the hymn writer, the grass is a sweeter green, isn't it? And the sky is a softer blue. You see life differently. You live life differently. You're wide awake to life because the living Christ is alive in you. And he's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. And that gives motion and meaning to your life. There's so much meaninglessness, isn't there, in our culture? I am burdened and brokenhearted. Many young people are taking their lives because they're drinking the poison of our universities and the media and entertainment that tells them there is no God that they are the product of evolution. There's no meaning and purpose to life. There's no direction in history. There may be moments of joy. There may be moments of exhilaration. But after a while, you'll waken up with a great sense of emptiness. You see, life under the sun devoid of the gospel is a life of vanity. But Paul says a life marked by the gospel, a life in union and communion with Jesus Christ is a life where one's loving and laboring is not in vain. We know better as we close. We believe more than this idea that life is meaningless. The gospel is a serum. The gospel is an antidote to the meaninglessness that marks so many. The gospel teaches us that the God who made the sun, who resides above the sun, came to life under the sun in the sending of his one and only son, so that you and I, through belief in Jesus Christ, might be given the gift of eternal life, which tells us that our life under the sun is eternally significant. And nothing we do is meaningless. When we love our neighbor, that's meaningful. When we raise our kids, that's meaningful. When you kiss the brow of a child, it's meaningful. When you serve the Lord on a Sunday morning, it's meaningful. When you dedicate your business and work to Jesus Christ, it's meaningful. It's significant. It's eternally weighty. Our labor is not in vain. Our work for him has a future because there is a future Because of him. And according to Revelation 14, 13, our works will follow us. Richard Gantz said, the meaninglessness of life has been smashed in Christ. He's alive. We too will live with him. Our earthly lives are therefore meaningful. Our earthly work is meaningful. Let me finish with this story. December 17, 1912, a good while ago, William Borden boarded a ship for China via Egypt. His missionary career 
was about to begin. Let me kind of fill in the background. William Borden was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born to an upper-class family in Chicago's Gold Coast. He was to be the heir of a fortune in real estate and milk production. There was the Borden Diaries. His mother was a Christian. She attended Moody Church. And as this young man graduated from Yale University, he was a star athlete. He was good-looking. He was worth $50 million. But he'd committed his life to Christ. And at a missions conference in, in Nashville, Tennessee, he surrendered his life to missions. And he shocked the world of his day. To some degree, broke his mother's heart and sold up and sold out to Jesus Christ and committed himself to the China Inland Mission where he was going to go and evangelize Muslims in China. But first he had to go to Egypt to study the language. The night before he leaves, his mother challenged him about whether it was the right thing to do. Giving up his fortune and homeland, conveniences, putting himself in harm's way. In fact, it kind of shook him a little bit. He says this, In the quiet of my room that night, worn and weary and sad, I fell asleep asking myself again and again, is it after all worthwhile? In the morning as I awoke, a still small voice spoke to my heart and said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I think what he was saying in that is that in the light of what God gave and did for me, he overdid it and outdid himself, then I'm going to give myself to him. A bit like C.T. Studd, another story of a cricketer in England, wealthy man who gave his life to Christ and went to China. It's famous for saying, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice I can make for him is too small. That was where William Borden was. A month after arriving in Egypt, Borden contracts spinal meningitis and within weeks is dead. Articles were written about it. Stories were written about it. Was his life in vain? Evidently not. In fact, because of his story, many young people of that day offered themselves to the mission field. But the morning of his death, a note was discovered under his pillow that he had written the night before. You want to hear it? It was very simple. He wrote this on a piece of paper, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. That's a headstone, isn't it? No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. No dying man, no dying woman has ever regretted living a life for the glory of God and the honor of his son, Jesus Christ. Only one life to live. T'will soon be past. Only what's done for Jesus will last. He offers you everlasting life. And if you will receive him and live your life for his glory, then all that you do is lasting and significant. There's nothing empty or meaningless about a life dedicated to Jesus Christ. Don't you hunger for that? Significance and meaning and sense of purpose and a belief that things are right with God. We invite you to trust him today. Jesus said in John 11, 25 to 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's true of what happens after we die. 
And it's also true that we live abundantly before we die because of Christ alive in us. You know, this morning as I got up in the dark, came down the stairs, I, my foot touched a piece of paper that my daughter Beth had left me. There it is. I read it. Hallelujah. Hope is ours for the taking. Praying for you, Dad. My friend, hope is ours for the taking. Won't you take it? By putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for our time this morning together. We thank you for this celebration of the event of Jesus, life, death, burial, and resurrection. And you invite us to live in the light of that event. And as we do, hope is found. Forgiveness of sins can be possessed. Meaning can be brought to a life that seems so meaningless. Even our suffering can be redemptive and purposeful as we live a life of service and sacrifice for you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this day and the message of the gospel. And for those of us that believe it, may we be transformed by it. May we be established. May we be enthused. May we be expectant. Help us to shift the gear. Help us to put the pedal to the metal for Jesus Christ in these days. And for our loved ones who are with us today, we love them deeply. You love them more. Hope is for the taking in Jesus Christ. May they take him and in taking him, find hope. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Know the Truth, an Easter message called Always Abounding from the series of the same title. You can replay this message or visit earlier lessons from this series when you visit us online at ktt.org. While you're there, be sure to glance at the resources in our online store. An encouraging book or Bible study series from Pastor Philip might be just the thing to give to a friend or family member who's in need of the gospel. As you may know, sharing God's Word is our mission here at Know the Truth. Each day, we teach the life-changing truth of the Bible with listeners all over the country through the radio and internet, some hearing the gospel for the very first time. But without generous, like-minded believers like you, this ministry would not be possible. So, if you would like to help reach more souls for Christ, would you consider giving monthly as a truth ambassador or even giving a one-time gift of any amount? Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And to express our gratitude for your gift, we'll send you A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do, a book by Sam Storms. Every Christian has experienced days or even seasons of feeling extreme guilt over past or present sins, thinking that God is angry or disgusted with them, sometimes even wondering if they're truly saved. This often happens when believers fixate on their sins while forgetting what Christ has already done on their behalf at the cross. So this is a book that calls readers to focus on the cross and remember that Christ has defeated our sins once and for all. The book is yours with a gift of any amount to know the truth. Just call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. And one more thing, if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Know the Truth, be sure to connect with us in our social media channels. 
Search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and click follow. This is Wayne Shepherd wishing you a happy Easter weekend. Join us again next time for more convicting and encouraging Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy. That'll be next time right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Yeah.